Welcome to episode 46 of the Contra Fabulist podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Kim Lane. And we're both at home, um, although you were on the road this week. Yeah, uh, last Monday night, I guess, I took off, um, drove from L.A. to San Francisco and went to uh, spend time with the Google people in San Francisco. Um, got a got an interesting look at, at kind of their vision of, of what's coming down the pipes with APIs specifically, but um, machine learning, which... I think dovetails kind of with with a lot of what what, what we've been talking about. So, um, I guess <laughs> I froze. Sorry, it's okay. Um, I'm like waiting for you to. I was going to say, explain to me what machine learning is, but I was waiting yeah. for you to finish your sentence. No, I actually was thinking about you going. Hey, what what are you going to say when when you talk about machine learning? So, um, yeah, what is machine learning? It's a uh, um, well, aside from being the hot new buzzword, which basically everyone's going to be talking about, so um, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, every every tech giant out there, Facebook, Twitter, everyone's doing machine learning. So, what is it? It's um, it's it's more machine than it is learning, um, but basically, it's taking um, algorithms and training them to do certain things. So, basically, in this case. Google has two that I wanted to highlight in the show notes that were um, video intelligence, which is more about video, nothing about intelligence, but then vision API, um, which is for images. And basically what these are is their um, training code or algorithms um, to look at video and then identify certain objects so they can identify clouds and cars and buildings and people and that could be taken all the way to facial recognition identify specific people um, and the vision API which is just for images instead of videos um, does the same thing just basically looks at images and can find certain patterns and this is basically all machine learning is is just training code or training an algorithm to look at text, media, and look for certain things and identify it and then automate that process. Does that do it justice? So it's interesting because, I, I mean, for me, you know, the work that I do with education and technology is that there's a lot of words that get thrown into this. And machine learning, I would say, is a sub category of artificial intelligence. But there's a lot of words that get used in AI that sound like the kinds of words that we use when we talk about um, teaching living beings, not just humans, but you know, when you you train your dog, right? So um, can you unpack a little bit more what you mean by the training? Because like, I feel like we use a lot of the sort of metaphoric language that makes it sound like that. I mean, obviously, we do that in some ways to familiarize our, um, uh, our to, to make it sound familiar, to make it sound understandable. But I think a word like intelligence, even a word like learning or a word like training also sort of obscures what's happening. So how do you train an algorithm? Like I know how you train a dog, right? Or I know various ways to train a dog, sometimes successfully, sometimes not successfully. There are different schools of thought for training dogs like there are with training human beings, I suppose. But how do you train an algorithm? 
Well, I mean, start with the basics um, and not to throw another complex technical thing out there, but regular expressions. Um, so basically when you're working with text and you have, say, you're reading a blog post, one of your hack education blog posts, and I want to identify, say, every time you mention a, a company name or a person's name, and I want to identify that in your post. I can, of course, read your post, or I can teach some code to grab your blog post and using regular expressions, say, here's what a, a, a person's name looks like. It's a, it's a proper noun. Here's what this looks like. And I give it a bunch of different examples, and then I run it against a bunch of different blog posts, and eventually I've trained that piece of code. I've dialed it in to look for exactly what I'm wanting to look for. And then what people do is they open this up as uh, machine learning models. Now, that's a really basic version of it, but honestly, that's when you go into some of these, you know, IBM Watson ecosystems, there's things there that will basically go pull out all the tags um, from an article, or they will pull out the title of the article um, from a web page. And so it, they've trained this, this, this algorithm or this piece of code to look for look at a web page and go that's the title or that's the image or that's the author's name so it's just training of the code so it still sounds like the way in which it gets talked about is is anthropomorphized oh for sure for sure right i mean <laughs> like you're like the way in which you're describing and i don't just mean you kinley now in this podcast but i mean in general the way in which we talk about this sounds as though um, that the that the technologies have will um, and agency and capacity to um, oh dare I say intelligence like that they have that they have thought. Well, some, somewhere along the way, all of us engineers, you know, picked up this touch, this magic something, and we believe we believe so hard in the code that. I mean, I'm, I think it's the science fiction, you know, novels that we read as we were younger or something. And we we aspire, we think it's going to be like these things, but we're, you know, we think it's going to be intelligence. We think it's going to be cognitive. And that's where we want it to be, but... You want to they, be God? They, yeah, we want to we be God. We want to upload ourselves to the singularity. We want to believe that these things, you know, that, um, you know, storage is the same thing as the brain, how the brain stores, you know, the, the internet is the same thing as like our nervous system. And we want to, we want to believe that, that, that the technology can be alive. But really, I mean, when you program these things, I mean, they're pretty mundane and boring. I mean, sure, the, I gave you a couple really simple examples. I rather enjoy stepping it up a little bit and training, say, a, a machine learning model on images and going, hey, here's a, Here's a, 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 a fine art, a piece, a, a really nice painting. Look at it and look at these points. You know, these look at the color, look at the um, the textures, look at the, the dark lines around it. But I'm still showing it through a, a set of code saying, look at these things or not even look. It's, that's what I was going to say. Like, See, look is... Unpack that. I just, know. Um, scan every bit and byte in this image. Right, this because a, image. a a computer program does not see 
the image, the way in which we see the image, right? A computer program that's looking at, that's looking, that's, um, that's somehow analyzing, uh, the persistence of time, right? Does not see it the way in which a human has a capacity to both visually take it in, right? That that your eyes and the rods and cones in your eyes process color, right? And that we have abilities to sort of add meaning to the melted watches and timepieces. We have sort of, again, we have like, you know, metaphoric, you know, we have these ideas of metaphor and that clocks stand for time and that melted clocks, you know, um, are meant to symbolize something. A, a computer program does not look at art like that, right? And it, because it, because when you're talking about a digital, a digitized piece of art, it's reducing every little pixel down to a certain co- color, Right, so it's not actually looking and saying, "Oh, well, you know, uh, what Dolly was interested in was, you know, the pff, whatever fill in the blank." I mean, it, it, it's actually seeing. It's actually seeing at the pixel level. Col- and I would say it's col- not even seeing color. It's seeing RGB. Right. Well, that's that. Yeah. Five, right. five, five, three, three. Exactly. You know, it's not. And so, so, and it, it's only it's doing those code. things. It's seeing code. It's seeing code. Yeah, it's seeing code, it's seeing values, it's seeing inputs, and it's producing certain outputs. And so it doesn't see anything that it's scanning. So I've you know trained a lot of these models to one of them that I did recently was trained on a, on a Nazi war poster. It didn't see, it doesn't understand that that poster that I trained this machine learning model is a Nazi poster. It, it grabbed all this red, brilliant color, all these dark gray images and black things. And then I take that and I can now take what it, what it um, interpreted from that poster. And it's up to me to describe that. The only way that that, that carries forward is by me tagging it and, and telling a certain story about what's possible. And then, and then you can take this model and you can apply it to other images. And that's what you get with like Instagram filters. That's what you get with these apps like Prism or Prisma where you um, apply these, these models. So there's a bunch of different models. I mean, models can be text-based, image, video-based. They can be search-based. So, you know, a lot of what, what people do is train these models on large data sets or large document sets. And then they search and they find words, they find patterns, they find phrases. And they have these complex algorithms that they train. And, they, and that's what we get as Google search results. Or that's what we get when we search on Facebook or on Twitter is these algorithmic responses from right. machine learning. So I think that, so, so and my understanding is that, you know, when, when we think about machine learning, what we're thinking about is something that's more advanced than just sort of an, ex, like, than I think what many people think of as sort of an explicit program. If you think, for example, if you think about a line-by-line code that a, that a computer runs line-by-line that sort of explicitly tells the computer what to do and then what to do next and then what to do next, machine learning the way in which it's, again, like these are narratives about it because it's still explicit. Like it still is bounded by the rules, the programmatic rules. But machine learning is this notion that somehow the the program is able to make a leap towards an, an implicit, an, an implicit leap and not be programmed. But there's, but it's all in, it's all still 
programmatic. It's all still algorithmic. And if the, it's not as though the leaps are made that if, if like, it's not as though you run your, you know, the work that you've been doing with the, um, the, the, the rotoscoping and stuff, it's not as though the computer is going to make the leap and say, if you like, Nazi iconography, have you thought about what this image is going to look like um, if you run it up against Stalin, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not making that sort of leap, um, but again... I have I, to connect the dots. I have to connect the dots. Right, and I think that that's part of... I, I want to spend some time. I've got, you know, I have a bunch of talks that I'm scheduled to give, but I'm really, I am really fascinated by the way in which when we when we use these words, we... I seem. I think we're giving a lot more. Um, we seem to be giving a lot more credence to these things um, than than perhaps they deserve. Uh, not perhaps they deserve, but you know these things. These things like these things are programmed. I mean, in the in the news lately, I mean, and it's all connected to I think the concern about quote unquote fake news. Um, I think that people are starting to shift in recognizing that this isn't, this isn't a Facebook problem or it isn't simply a Facebook problem. And in fact, what's happening with Google is perhaps even more dangerous and damaging than, than the algorithms on Facebook, right? The machine learning of Facebook surfacing certain things in your newsfeed. Um, that it's the fact that when you do the Google search, and Google is very much an AI company, Google is very much based on, um, you know, bit large data sets um, analyzed algorithmically to, certain, to surface certain answers, um, but that, those, that the things that come up in search are questionable, right? So it's, and, you know, Google acts as though because this is programmatic, that somehow it's like out of their hands. They're just like, oh, well, I mean, the, you know, what are we going to do? The top search for is the Holocaust real says no. I mean. Well, and, and, and what's, what's really dangerous about this type of language is when I say, like, say I take my Nazi image poster and I'm, I'm saying this is, this is, you know, this, this machine learning, this intelligence here knows about Nazi colors. It can, it can apply it to, you know, smoke and mirrors, some song and dance. And I, I sell it as this bullshit. Like, I trained it on a certain set of documents, a certain set of images, and, and provided a certain amount of inputs. I, mean, I only know those inputs, but other people who are tend to have no lives and be super curious, kind of hacker, programmer types, love reverse engineering these things. And then all it takes is, is for them to understand, well, all he's doing is training it on those, those images over there or these documents over there. And they're going to then feed that with a bunch of blast it with a bunch of misinformation or disinformation and change it. And this is basically the Google algorithm, the Facebook algorithm, the Twitter algorithm. And these company these these individuals and these companies have learned how to game these things. So not only are the people the creators of them kind of in denial and, and closeted and putting on this performance about what it can't do and using this grand language, there's all these other people off to the side that are actually pulling the puppet strings and doing things. And 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 the 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 public, the people who are on the receiving end of Google search or your Facebook wall or Twitter, don't know any better about how these things are being pulled or how this works at all. Right. I mean, and I think that this is this is the this is the problem with 
with um, this sort of godlike, I think of, I think often of like the wizard, the Wizard of Oz type imagery, right? That that people are much more comfortable with the great and mighty Oz. That Google is somehow magic. That it does have the answer, and that if you type a query. Um, into that little box that you get the answer. Um, it, Google assumes that you aren't really interested in spending a long time doing research. They think that you want the answer. In fact, they've sort of designed it. They've sort of designed the interface that way. And increasingly, they pull out these things called snippets that you don't even have to like click into the top blue link in your search results that they sort of identify the top answer and they highlight it and they give it a little bit they give a little bit more information and um, we're finding how how incorrect that is um, there's a story I'll put, again I'll put it in the show notes um, about the the errors um, the errors in the in the snippets but this is really pervasive this isn't just like one or two snippets this is really pervasive um, but the problem with that now and this connects back to what you got up to this week when you were in San Francisco, is that once you're using a voice-activated search, right, and you're not looking at, an, you're not looking at a computer interface that shows you there are multiple other responses, that you say, Google Home, I'm asking you a question, give me the answer. Alexa, I'm asking you a question, give me the answer. Siri, I'm asking you a question, give me the answer. Um, when the answer is the top result and the top result is wrong, then it's, that is going to be, um, that is, I think really going to be damaging. Cause again, like when you, you know, when you Google how many presidents were in the Klan and the top, you know, the top search result says five U S presidents were in the Klan, actually, uh, none were, um, but the, and you, but then you can see subsequent information below that actually has more accurate historical information. But when you ask orally Google Home how many presidents were in the Klan and it responds back with an answer, you don't get that opportunity to see alternative, um, perhaps, um, you know, alternative answers, more correct answers, different kinds of research. These, you know, the sort of voice activated, the, the virtual assistants that, that the tech industry seems to think everyone wants in their home are, I think, are going to start making these this question of inaccurate information and algorithmic, you know, we've talked a lot about algorithmic decision making, but this plays it very much into something as fundamental and as basic and as think, something that people have used online for a very, very long time in that search. Search is not neutral. Um, search is not natural. The things that Google surfaces to the top are not the correct answer. Um, Google's not in the business of showing people. They say they're in the business of organizing the world's information and making it useful. But that's, I think, debatable when consistently they get the thing, they get it wrong. Well, and, and you heard this many times over, well, I don't need libraries or I don't need, uh, you know, I, I just Google it when I need something and it's all there. And and the, the first major severe problem there is no, no, it's not all there. There's plenty of the world's information that is not available in Google. But also like right now we're living off of those 10 listings in a Google search that what the latest that the algorithm surfaced on our Facebook wall, the latest in our in our in our tweet deck stream or you know our Twitter app stream, and and 
the dangers of that, like you said, with the home environments, the Alexa, is you're going to end up getting that one answer. You're not even going to get the 10 answers, which is super limiting on our Google homepage now. You're going to get the one answer and that one very gameable answer that this certain group and layer of of, of people are are able to game and really push. I mean, we've seen with the with the Google cards, you know, they're not just trying to go, hey, this is the answer because it's it's the most popular. They're they think they're semantically doing it. They think they have all this complex um, way of an, analyzing that, and it's very very wrong. And often, you know, and we're going to be now settling down when you are in your car and you ask this answer of your car dashboard. It gives you this one answer, and it's going to be wrong. It's scary. Yeah, I mean, I think that like the. I mean, there was, and again, I'll put there, well, there's quite a few stories that I'll put in the show notes, but there was a really funny piece in Gizmodo this week about the way in which uh, an, an, an author who was saying that, you know, he had written a piece about, you know, misinformation on Google when it came to cooking and how long it takes to, um, uh, how long it takes to caramelize onions and the, that his, his, He'd written a piece. He'd written a piece for Slate about misinformation in recipes and, and recipes online. But now his his piece about misinformation is highlighted by Google as the snippet, and the snippet that's highlighted is oh, the misinformation. God. And that's actually just you know the way in which these people talk about virtual assistants. That's exactly the kind of stuff that they're selling to you. Is saying these are the things you're going to be able to use. Do a search by voice, right? Well, if you're in the kitchen, your hands are dirty. You're not going to want to go to your iPhone or your computer and type how long to caramelize onions. You're just going to say um, Google or whatever Alexa. I don't know what you call the Google thing. Um, I'll look that up. <laughs> yeah. But that um that uh you're just going to you're just going to ask your virtual assistant the, the question and it's got it's going to give the wrong answer and recipes are certainly one of these areas that are highly prized in terms of SEO in terms of search engine optimization. And so the you know when you google how do you caramelize onions it doesn't the best caramelization practices aren't surfaced. They're the ones for the sites that actually have optimized their websites to show up at the top. And that's a, you know, that's a business. In fact, you were saying, I think yesterday that you'd found a guide to, for, um, was it WordPress users on how to scrub the dates? Yeah, to get rid of the dates from your WordPress. When you post a post, it doesn't have the the in the folder name or in the in the article at all. Right, and so the reason that you would do that, of course, is because Google tends to deprecate in its search algorithm um, older information. Right, so it's it's there are a variety of things, and we don't know what goes into the Google um, into the Google search algorithm. It's part of the the company's magical secret sauce. But one of the things that um, I think we we think is in there is that the newest information surfaces first, right? Um, a, a variety of factors, but but if you can delete the if you can delete the date, that helps you stay fresh in um, in, in the Google in the Google algorithm. Because you just eliminated one of the inputs that they use to to 
make us constantly feel like we're in this rolling wave forward and constantly forgetting what's already happened so that we're always in this perpetual move forward and break things, right? I mean, this is the the Silicon Valley kind of tech way is it's not just um, because technology is inevitably moving forward. It's because they want everything to inevitably move forward and be weighted towards what they want you to see. So if it's their product or their their uh, service that they want, you know, it's not, oh, you can get pizza through your Alexa or your Siri. It's that you can get Domino's pizza because Domino's has all the resources to float up to the top and make the deals that need to be done. And the the bros, the tech bros, the all, right, all these people who are really good at this kind of stuff, all their bots can focus in on a topic all of their spam network can focus in on something and float it up to the top to become the answer. So we hear these things, um, you know, that, that that float up to the top. Yeah, and so I think that this is, um, I, you know, I think that we have to really think very carefully about the the. Um, this reminds me of another of another uh, story I should put in the show notes. Um, Mike Caulfield's really been writing a lot of great stuff about oh, this yeah. lately. You know, thinking about how we how we construe something like literacy online, and and for me, I, mean, I think that I have several several pet peeves. But finding a source, for example, that doesn't have a date to it, is um, is incredibly incredibly frustrating. But you know, this is this is something that. We've decided that the you know we're gonna not the on the business of the business of the internet has decided to break the web um, in many ways in order to privilege um, privilege the things that 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 line their that line their pockets and you know I think it's gonna it's incredibly damaging culturally it's incredibly damage intellectual damaging intellectually um, and I think we're we're you know, I, I can't help but think that it's all connected to um, uh, President Trump, um, and it's it's damaging politically as well. Well, this this beast that that we've created called the internet, um, because of this kind of you know the Google ad driven, because of the advertising driven, you want to be in those top rankings. If you do, you can do very well. If you don't you're not going to do very well. So there's just a, a, an incredible amount of incentive to be at the top of this. And you mentioned, you know, you blame Trump. I mean, this is why people think he's a thing. This is why. I mean, when you have, you know, the news outlets reporting off of Twitter, basically showing tweets in the newscast on the screen, and it gives him a lot of power. It gives the Twitter domain a lot of power. It gives the Twitter algorithm a lot of power. And again, you also then... All the people who know how to game that algorithm, play that game, you give them a lot of power. So we basically, through giving Twitter.com and Facebook.com and Google.com so much power by using them as our search, using them as our knowledge base, using them as our communication platform, using them as the way we we keep in in tune with family and friends, and this is now how we get our news, We've given them a lot of power to pull those strings and kind of generate this reality for us. And what's happening is rather than the, the Silicon Valley theater, you know, they're using these big words like intelligence and cognitive and being masters at programming code. They're programming us. They're programming us to behave a certain way. Hey, get your pizza in one certain way because you can ask that one question. Give me a pizza, but you can't get any pizza 
you can only get one pizza. And then think about the presidency in this way. Think about where you're going to travel to in this way. Think about all the questions you're going to ask, what music. So pretty soon your entire world is reprogrammed and reshaped by these people. It's not that they have intelligence or have all this knowledge. They just figured out a pretty savvy way to, to, to feed you shit. I don't think that this is entirely new. I mean, I think that this certainly builds on older institutions and older corporations that have sort of had um, had for a long time monopolies over our information diet, right? Um, and there are certainly, you know, the, the decisions that go into the editorial the editorial decisions of what appears on the half an hour of the CBS nightly news are also not not particularly um, transparent. Um, but I I think that so I think that you know it's not as though what 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 I'm calling for is a is a nostalgia for an era pre pre web or pre Facebook or pre Google um, in which information was somehow democratically um, available and that, you know, it wasn't until the, these new Silicon Valley types came in that somehow information and decision-making became opaque. I just think that what, what happens because of the, because of the technology and because I think of part of the storytelling in which we act as though these algorithms are not humans, Right, algorithms. This is the the decision making in the editorial room. You know, in the editorial room of CBS Nightly News was humans, and it was corporate, and there were there were people making the decision that were editors, and there were people making the decision that they were journalists, and there were people making the decision that were advertisers. That sort of explicitly or implicitly dictated what we saw in that half hour, and so that's it's not entirely different. What's different now, I think, is that Silicon Valley tries to sell you this notion that somehow it's pure, that because it's mathematically generated, that somehow it's sort of born out of pure information and pure data and sort of light, right? And that I I, I think it's important to remember that these are, the algorithms are still they are still human generated. The inputs are, are decided by humans. And it's up to, you know, it's up to a company like Google to put, you know, Google can put its finger on the scale and highlight some things and not highlight others. You know, Google makes these decisions to put things in snippets, um, not because Google cares about the information being correct. It's because Google wants, Google really likes it when you stay on Google. Google isn't, you know, particularly interested in sending you off to places, particularly places that aren't supported by Google ads. And so Google has a lot of incentive to make your experience be about Google. And Facebook has a lot of incentive to make your face your experience be about Facebook and their advertisers. And so again, these are these are not these are not naturally occurring or even somehow mathematically occurring entities that that do not occur without human without human input and that human input is driven by profit and that's not new that's not new it's just um it's just i think recognizing the particular ideolo- ideological bent of silicon valley that makes that is i think really interested in destroying and disrupting older institutions and moving the profits into its into its wheelhouse
Well, and I think that's, I mean, not all companies are like Uber who are just overtly super aggressive and and going after regulators and and you know creating this this whole you know kind of playing this game at, at high speed and breaking things in cities around the globe but many many tech companies are so willfully blind because we believe in this magic back what we were talking about this this you know the people writing these algorithms honestly believe that that what they're creating is intelligence some of the times and they're they're really believing it. and they're willfully overlooking so much that that can be you know can be done with this this algorithm or this data or whatever we're doing because they're so focused on either just a kind of blind belief in the code or secondarily those profit motivations those ad revenues those you know getting to the top of the pile that they just are all blind to all the all the people they're going to run over in the way or or you know it's not that twitter is like hey let's sell to the alt right because they're great you know they make for great ad revenue and fuck all the women and people that they're trolling no they're like just in on the quest for profits and they're 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 trying to solve the problems that are directly in front of them that they see they don't see your problem that you're being trolled every day so it's not that everyone's out to do everyone so harm they're just so greedy and so narrowly focused that they miss so much well we've already hit the half hour mark and we um i do want to talk really really briefly and it's actually fine that it's really briefly um about the wikileaks news this week oh yeah well let's do that for sure um so on tuesday wikileaks released a new data dump it's the largest data dump of documents from the cia the cia dis- the cia disputes or has not has not claimed that they're that they are um legitimate cia documents but one of the things i just want to highlight um is it's i think and again, this comes back to some of the things thinking about thinking about algorithms, thinking about the way in which we access information is that the, a lot of there are a lot of different stories out there about what this particular data dump means. So ostensibly, if you listen to WikiLeaks, they had they released a bunch of troves that they that is they aren't the code for the hacking tools that the CIA uses, but they highlight the CIA's ability to um, hack applications and hardware, including um, your Samsung, your Samsung phone. Um, but I think and and um, and attribute that, and this is important, attribute the hacking to someone else. Now, there's a lot of reasons why WikiLeaks might be really interested in that question of attribution, right? If we think about claims made about the Russians hacking the U.S. elections, if WikiLeaks can demonstrate that the CIA can actually falsely attribute um, hacking, then I think that that's sort of a, it certainly undermines any claims that Russia was involved in this election. So that's important to think about. What can the CIA do? Um, but once the story really got started to get unpacked a little bit, you could sort of see that the claims that um, WikiLeaks were making were a little bit overblown. For example, WikiLeaks initially claimed that, that the CIA had the ability to crack the encryption in apps like um, Signal. Uh, and that's, that's not true. What they can do is if they, if they hack your phone at the operating system level, you're screwed. But the encryption in these apps is actually 
solid. Um, but I think that it, it sort of under, but a lot of this sort of is actually, if the, if the CIA wants to get you, there's very little that you can do. The CIA isn't necessarily, doesn't have the capacity to sort of backdoor everything for all of us. Um, but all of the, but all of, um, it's, it's more likely that they're going to get on a specific, go after a specific person and a specific person's devices. But there are a lot of questions, I think, about, about this, this, um, the release of information. And I think it comes back to this question of sort of what are we doing to make sure that we are well informed about technologies and then also thinking about what are the political motivations of the various players who are telling stories about technologies, right? Because Julian Assange has a particular motivation. Um, he met with Nigel Farage this week. Um, uh, the Sean Hannity from Fox News has met with um, Julian Assange before. So they're really promoting the idea that this, that this was a false flag or that the Russian, Russian hacking is a of the elections was a false flag. Other people have a very different take on it. And I think that, you know, we, uh, there's something called the, oh, I always forget it. I think it's called the Gell-Mann amnesia effect. And it's this idea that if you, if you read about something in the newspaper that you're really knowledge about, knowledgeable about, you push back and say, oh man, the reporter got like, they missed things, they kind of got the story a little bit wrong, they didn't explain everything, they didn't contextualize everything. But then, then you move on to the next story that you're not so familiar about the topic and you don't necessarily have those same sorts of questions. And I think it's really important for us to think about what are the questions that we should be asking of the reporting around technology. And I don't just mean something like WikiLeaks, right? What does WikiLeaks want us to believe? What is WikiLeaks? What, is, what can we glean from WikiLeaks? But I think of that in terms of all of these stories. I mean, the ones, even the most banal story about the future of artificial intelligence and, you know, virtual assistants in the home. Like, what do we really know about what's happening? And what, is, what are we really being lulled into believing that these devices can and cannot do? Well, I think, I mean, that's what this, I don't, I haven't dove into the CIA cash entirely but from the sources that i've gone to and you know you kind of demonstrated that you know going to places that we trust you know that we understand their perspective maybe maybe not entirely but you grab a piece here you grab a piece there and pretty soon you've got enough to piece together kind of your awareness of what's going on we need to have the skills to do this um about everything because i mean i think the cia cache is a great example of there's not a lot there there's actually not a you know, there's code though. There's a bunch of documents. It's it's big. It's overwhelming. There's there's enough little gems in there to go. Hey, this is something real. There's something going on here. But to be able to step back and go, well, what's the what's the the larger story here? What's someone trying to tell? Or what's what's someone thinking that the the wolves that come up and start grabbing at these this all the pieces of this? What are the stories they're going to tell? Because they're the ones we're trying to get to to focus in on a specific topic like false flags or how, you know, how the CIA operates. And so it's just it's interesting from a storytelling aspect to try to pick apart. Yeah, well, um it certainly if nothing else, it yeah, interesting. It's a. Uh, I mean, this is this what the next uh, four years are going to be like? Is just basically, uh, sh you know, crazy thing from crazy thing at the White House, crazy lawsuit 
um, and then just dumps of information. And this, I wanted to kind of end on one note. We, you pulled this up, and we're going way over than we normally would. But I wanted you to talk quickly about what you're doing on Twitter to try to kind of control some of the information that's out there. I think I'll talk about this. Perhaps I'll talk about this more next week. Um, but the uh, well, no, no I because uh, I haven't, I haven't actually sort of pulled the trigger yet. But I'm going to delete all of my old tweets. I think that's a, I mean, I know you do this with your, your email already and you've kind of something you've done with Facebook, but just kind of why, why are you thinking about it? And then we can, we can pick it up next well, week. Well, you know, I mean, I think it really is, it, it really isn't in many ways a response to, to WikiLeaks, um, not, um, not directly that I'm concerned about being swept up in some sort of, um, Julian Assange related scandal, but I think WikiLeaks really underscores the way in which, and there there are so many examples of this, but WikiLeaks really underscores the way in which our information online is just weaponized so quickly, and I f I think that Twitter in particular, Twitter and other uh, other communications that we have, but Twitter in particular is so easily decontextualized. Um, I feel like my own Twitter usage has changed radically in the in the years since I've been using Twitter. Um, it's changed partially because I have more followers now. It's changed in the wake of Gamergate. It's changed for a lot of reasons. And I just don't feel as though it's worth um, having all of that information out there publicly publicly available. So I'm I'm planning on deleting all my tweets. But I'll talk about it more next week. Alrighty. Yeah, I think that that's a good way to end, and we can uh, kind of tease people about what's going to happen next yeah, week. Yeah, tune in next week. All right, till then. Till then. <laughs>